Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. We are here for our first podcast of 2022, and it is Tuesday, January the 4th, which also makes it my brother's birthday. But for the purposes of this podcast, more importantly, it is Draft Deep Dives Day. So I'm here with my Draft Deep Dives co-host, Tyler Metcalf. Tyler, how are you doing today? Well, first off, big happy birthday shout out to your brother. Uh, second, Johnny Davis is the second coming and the greatest thing in college basketball right now. So I, I, I'm, I'm doing fantastic. I, I'm sure you uh, really didn't enjoy that Johnny Davis game. It really just doesn't seem like the kind of thing that would appeal to you, honestly. So. Well, as someone who hates Wisconsin sports, so I, I'm, I'm really torn with it because I, I, I absolutely adore every second of how he plays. I love his, his approach to the game. Uh, but yeah, seeing Wisconsin have nice things, it's it's a real conflict for me. Well, hey, at least they don't have the Milwaukee. Oh, at least they don't have the reigning champ or anything. Well, I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I'm good with that. It's just the rest of Wisconsin. It's, it's, it's just the Badgers. Badgers pack. Yeah, really. Basically everything else. Well, uh, shout out to Giannis for avoiding the axe from Tyler Metcalf. I'm sure he's really enjoying that today. Uh, and I'm sure he's now aware. he can sleep. Now, now, now he can sleep easy. Exactly. <laughs> so for our first podcast of this year, we're going to cover one recent article from each of us that went up on No Ceilings. So if you have not joined the No Ceilings Substack Revolution, definitely go and sign up now. But also after the last two months of listening to us, talk and you still haven't subscribed, I'd honestly be kind of hurt, but that's a different thing entirely. But we're going to start out today by talking about my most recent article. So I wrote about Damian Collins for my most recent Sleeper Deep Dives piece, which sounds strange, honestly, because coming into the year, Damian Collins was not exactly a sleeper of any kind, but he has barely played at all this season for Kentucky, which certainly in light of some other freshman prospects who barely played, makes it seem like a bad thing. But when I looked into more Damian Collins film, really the thing that stood out to me the most is that he's not playing badly at all. He's playing really well in the incredibly limited minutes that he's getting, but he looks like the same prospect he was in high school. It's not like he's one of those guys who just can't compete once he can't just be the best athlete on the floor. First of all, he's still the best athlete on the floor most of the time, which isn't always true for those high school phenomenons when they go to college basketball. But it was interesting to me to do a deep dive on Collins's film because A, there isn't all that much of it, but B, and more to the point, it really just seems like he's not getting minutes at Kentucky because they're just such a loaded roster rather than anything he's done wrong. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on Damian Collins because maybe I'm just a bit overhyped on him after having watched all the film that I have. I I think you put it best when you mentioned his role and he's just not getting any opportunity right now, which is really tough because as you outlined in your piece and when you look at his game log, when he's gotten the minutes, he's performed. Um, And it's, but recently, I mean, it's his last like six or seven games. He's only broken 10 minutes, I think once. So it's just been really tough to really get a grasp on him when he's only getting three, four, five, six minutes a night what i the 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 crux of your piece you know it was his athleticism and it's freakish it's otherworldly it really jumps off the screen when you watch him both in transition and on defense with his rebounding and shot blocking it's really impressive and incredible stuff 
it's just, can he get a bigger role going forward? And it's tough because Brooks is playing well. Shibway is an absolute monster on the boards. So Calipari, especially after last season, I don't think he really wants to abandon, you know, that level of production from his big men to bring in a, a skinny freshman who I still think is a little raw, even though the physical tools are so enticing. The difficulty for me, honestly, was trying to evaluate his defense beyond just athleticism because yes he's the ridiculous athlete but i don't know because it's not as if kentucky a doesn't have a bunch of other great athletes on the floor but b i think more to the point one of the best skills that collins has shown so far beyond just basic athleticism has been his rebounding and his willingness to crash the glass and your rebounding is not going to stand out when you're playing alongside this season's version of oscar chibwe so it's kind of hard for him to stand out even at the things that he is good at because the guy ahead of him is just a preternaturally gifted rebounder. It certainly seems like this year. Yeah. And I mean, when you talk about his rebounding, it, I think it really stands out the most on the offensive end because I, he's currently in the 98th percentile in points per possession on offensive rebounds and putbacks with 1.7 points per possession, which is absurd. That ain't bad. Um, his offensive rebounding rate is 11.8. Defensive re- rebounding rate is 18.3 and his block rate is 11.5. So when he's around the rim on both ends of the floor, that's where we, where we really see his athleticism and his timing and his kind of just instincts take over in his ability to track the ball and make a play. I think when he gets pulled away from the rim, that's where he gets a little clunkier and it's just not as smooth defensively. I, I like his effort and I, I don't think he's getting minutes for a lack of effort. Um, but when he's put in a pick and roll or having to communicate guys running off screens and stuff, he seems to either not be communicating or just a step late on what the right decision is. And a lot of that may just be that he's not used to playing out there. So there's, you you have to play the play through the rust. It's he just still feels really raw to me. And maybe that's just because he's not getting the play time, but the tools are there. The flashes are there. And I really hope that once we get into sec play, even though it seems unlikely for him to get more minutes and a bigger role entering conference play, it'd be nice to see because the the flashes that he's shown, the numbers that he's posting, despite the limited role and the limited minutes, are pretty impressive. The increase in role is kind of what I'm worried about for the rest of the season because given how the guys in front of him are playing and also given that Calipari hasn't shown the willingness to play him in the games that, you know, matter less to Kentucky in terms of conference play, it's not exactly encouraging for him getting more playing time going forward. But I don't know, I guess the question I'm pondering is there are definitely moments where he seems very raw, but as you said, there are also the fact that he's not getting the opportunity to knock the rust off by getting to play more minutes It'll be interesting to sort of see how that plays out in the months after the season, I think, because the question for me at this point is, will he try to return to Kentucky? Because, you know, in terms of him not getting much of an opportunity to show what he can do on the court, that's one negative. But, you know, the flip side of that is, has he done enough for teams at the back end of the first round to consider drafting him, at which point, 
you know, do you risk going back to Kentucky and maybe being buried again, at which point that really hurts your draft stock a lot more than just, oh, well, he got unlucky in that Oscar Chibwe showed up and all of a sudden his minutes are going nowhere. Yeah, and so when I was really going through his film and prepping for, for this, one of the thoughts that kept coming back to me was I I could see this kid having a monster sophomore season once he yeah. comes back because of just how overwhelming that athleticism is and just another year of development and in the system and really honing that awareness and his feel on both ends of the floor, I think would do wonders for him. And I think going from, you know, a second round pick to to potential lottery, I, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. I mean, this this draft I feel is flush with sophomores making a huge leap, uh, regardless of position or um, school. And it wouldn't surprise me if we saw something similar from Collins next year, if he does come back. The concern is, does he get iced out by Calipari, which we've seen happen at Kentucky before with high-level recruits who don't do much their freshman year get almost immediately buried on buried on the bench if they do come back because of how high the turnover on that roster is year after year as uh as an offensive player do you see his role expanding anything more than just a rim runner or energy kind of rebound you know rebounder and finisher because I mean he's only taken four jumpers all season according to synergy and he hasn't made one but he's also in the 94th percentile finishing around the basket so really for me, I think the thing with Collins is he's always going to be more of a complimentary offensive player, but yeah. him as a cutter, him as a rim runner, him as a guy in transition, all of the above, I think will be very easy ways for him to generate offense. And really the thing I think for his development is going to be what kind of defensive player does he become? You know, does he put on 40 more pounds and become a primary center defensively hanging around the rim? I think he's athletic enough where he could do that, but I think he's probably better as like a two through four kind of switch defender type of player. And so the development there, I think really just depends on which team he ends up going to. I don't know. I mean, his touch is decent. I don't think it's out of the question that he could develop at least a reliable mid-range jumper within a year or two. But Really, I think for him, it's going to be more about the defensive growth and offensively, maybe his upside. I mean, I don't think his offensive upside is anywhere near his defensive upside, but I have really bought into his defensive upside, so that's not saying all that much. But I think that given his proficiency as a putback guy, as a cutter, as a transition player, I think that that alone will allow him to be good enough on offense where his defense can really shine through. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with you in terms of upside where I think the vast majority of it for him lies on that defensive end. And, you know, he, he is really skinny right now, but I, I, I don't think I really want to see him get or add on a tremendous amount of weight because I, I think that would take away from a lot of his springiness and his ability, his quick twitch stuff. Because And that's where I think he has so much value, almost kind of similar to Isaiah Jackson last year at Kentucky where it's like, is this guy really a center? Is he a four? Should he get bigger? Should he kind of stay at this weight and guard more on the perimeter and, you know, maybe, maybe just be a skinny four. So I, I get a lot of the similar vibes that Jackson gave off from Collins. And I, it just really feels like Shibwe having this monster year Brooks being better that 
those guys are just kind of burying him on the bench and that wasn't necessarily the plan. Yeah. I mean, in terms of going back to school, I think I'm just much more in favor of that now than I was a year ago, just because, you know, college players can actually get paid while in college for being college basketball players that make their schools millions of dollars. But not that I have strong opinions on that or anything, but, you know, I mean, I think that makes the whole calculus of going back to school make a lot more sense. I think the question for Collins really is, would he be better off going into the transfer portal? And just going to a smaller school where he knows he's going to start, right? And at that point, it's like, okay, you know, maybe he has a little bit more opportunity to try seeing what he can do with the ball in his hands. I mean, I don't think he's really that kind of player, but, you know, at least maybe try having him go in the post more or, you know, pop out for short-range, mid-range jumpers. Like, if he goes to a different school, I think that his chances of being able to do that are much better. The question just becomes does he want to go to the transfer portal but also is he going to gain that much more on his stock by returning to school and i think that really just depends on where you value him like i think of him as an end of the first round guy right now if i were a prospect heading into the nba and i knew i would go in the first round i'm not sure i would risk going back to school to up my stock into the lottery but if he's asking around and nba teams are like yeah, maybe we'll draft you middle of the second round or try and pick you up as an undrafted free agent, right? That's at the point where it's like, okay, either I'm returning to school or I'm going to the transfer portal, but I'm not going to try and chance it as a second round pick. Yeah, so I mean, personally for me where I have him in my rankings, it's in that kind of mid to late second round just because we haven't, or I, I personally haven't seen enough from him because of how few minutes he's getting. So I, I do think that returning to school would be the best thing for him. And I mean, he's a top 15 recruit coming out of high school. So I, you know, you mentioned going to a smaller school. I, I'm not even sure that that would be necessary. It His situation kind of reminds me a lot of what we saw from Walker Kessler last year, who got buried on North Carolina's bench behind some upperclassmen, big men, and just and decided to transfer to Auburn because he wanted a bigger role and could do a little bit more. It wouldn't shock me if we see Collins do something similar where he goes to another, you know, power five program because I'm accepting transfers now is it's the norm. Everyone's doing it. You know, it, the, the successful programs are doing it. It's a, just another Avenue for recruiting. So when you find an Uber talented especially sophomore guy who's looking for a new situation. I think it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see him at a different power five program next year. And he has kind of the similar explosion that we've seen Kessler have, who's now being talked about as a potential first round guy. The funny part of course, is that part of the reason that Collins has been marginalized is because of a different player who transferred to Kentucky. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, you know, I, I'm not the biggest Sheboy fan, um, at least in terms of NBA outlooks, but as a college, as a college big man, I mean, his production is undeniable and the, the way he's rebounding, it'd be impossible for Calipari to be like, well, why, why, why don't you sit for an extra 10 minutes a game while this skinny freshman gets in because Sheboy's averaging like 15 rebounds a game. It's absurd. Yeah, well, the craziest part is like one of the best parts of Khan's profile, as you mentioned earlier, and as I pointed out in the piece, is he's got this ridiculous offensive rebounding rate for 
someone who profiles primarily as a four and that just gets drowned because it looks like nothing compared to Shibwe, who's so far ahead of everybody else in terms of rebounding. And and they're impossible to play together because neither of them can or at least have proven that they can shoot and the spacing would just be an absolute mess on the, that team. So it, it just it makes the fit a l- just clunky and it doesn't feel like there are obvious minutes for Collins to kind of take over as the season goes on, unfortunately. Yeah, that's that's really the rub is just it's hard to see the pathway for him yeah. getting the increase in minutes that he's going to need to prove more than he's shown so far. And some people, certainly myself included, are buying in more than others, but ultimately mm-hmm. there just isn't that much. But there's another SEC freshman who has had quite a few opportunities to show what he can do. So let's now transfer to your most recent piece, talking about Kennedy Chandler from Tennessee. And Chandler has been really interesting for me to try to evaluate this season because I think he is firmly between the two other SEC freshman point guards in my mind, with Ty Ty being over here for me and J.D. Davison being somewhere out that way for me. But because of that, I think I've seen less of Chandler than I have of either Ty Ty or J.D. Davison. So preparing for this and reading your piece was really illuminating for me in terms of the Chandler evaluation. I definitely was worried about his size, but reading your piece about his at-rim finishing has quelled a lot of those concerns because even though you know him being 6'1", generously listed at 6'1", probably closer to the six-foot range, yeah. you know that's one of the biggest problems with small guards is just can you rely on their ability to finish at the rim? And being a small guard does not necessarily mean you can't finish well at the rim. It just makes it a lot more difficult. But with Chandler, he's shown the kind of craft around the rim that you would really want from a point guard who might be a bit undersized, is a bit undersized for the NBA level, but at least he's shown that he can finish around the rim with some proficiency. Yeah, and so his ability to, or I guess as I've watched Tennessee's games throughout the season, I was just really surprised by the at-room finishing because the handful of high school games I'd seen from him, it was all, you know, this guy's a blur in the open court. He might be the fastest player in the country, and he's a really good shooter. So the the at-room stuff, really caught me off guard. And the more I watched, it was like, oh, this guy has a lot of craft and creativity and awareness at the rim on how to finish, which, like you said, for tiny guards, it's essential because if they can't do that, then they're a pretty one-dimensional scorer and really limit what they can do within the offense. So despite only being six foot, maybe six one on a good day, he's still in the 60th percentile finishing around the basket and non post-ups. He's in the 81st percentile as a pick and roll ball handler. And when he dribbles off the pick and takes it to the basket, he's in the hundredth percentile, which is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Um, So the, the amount of craft, the amount of touch, the ability to finish at various angles, I think is all so encouraging and he's not afraid of contact either where he'll initiate it. He knows how to get into a shop blocker's chest to really negate their shop blocking ability and shield the ball with the rim and his body. It's just really, it's just a really mature finishing package. The most interesting thing to me about that 
And, you know, this is something that comes with development time, but the thing that's surprising to me is how few free throws he's shot this year, because you'd think someone his size being not afraid of contact, you know, actually initiating contact on his way to the rim, you'd think that he'd get a few more foul shots per game than he has been. And I don't know, do you think that's something that he needs to work on more specifically? Do you think he just hasn't really been getting the good end of calls? Because when you're someone that size who's finishing around the rim as often as he is, you'd think that he'd get to the line a few more times a game. I I think a lot of it's just kind of bad luck so far to this point. Um, And it's a a little over two free throws a game, which like you said, it is not enough. And it feels low too, when you watch him play based on how he plays. So, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a bad thing about him, you know, avoiding contact or really having a shot affected by rotating defenders, as we can see in, you know, the advanced numbers, but I I think it's so far, it's just been unlucky and just not getting the benefit of the whistle. Um, because you know, a a lot of the times with college refs, they're they're a little less inclined to reward smaller players who get knocked around. Um, so I, it, it wouldn't surprise me if we see a slight uptick as we kind of get into conference play and these refs see these guys on a more nightly basis and get more used to how they play. Um, but I, I don't think it's an indictment on how he plays because when he goes to the rim, he's not actively being deterred from attacking the rim. He's not afraid of going into, into guys and creating contact and finishing through that contact. So, you know, and part of that may be, he may bring a lot of that on himself too, by the way he hangs in the air and kind of manipulates his body and controls his body to avoid those swipe downs. So I, I think there are multiple factors in it, but I don't think it's any of it is really an indictment on how he plays or a cause for concern that he won't be able to finish or absorb or deal with contact at the next level. So there's sort of the, at rim finishing stuff in terms of how he finishes in half court. And there's also transition, which transition I think is the thing that jumped out most just in his high school tape is just how freaking fast this guy is. But, you know, I think it's the craft of the around the rim stuff. That's going to be much more important for his evaluation as an NBA prospect, because, you know, there are a lot of small dudes who are really fast who can get to the rim, but the question is what they can do once they get there. And the other thing with Chandler is, you know, he's not exactly Trey Young, but he's got a solid passing package. And, you know, he's going to have, especially if he's trying to get to the rim, he's going to have more openings than, say, less aggressive players who are trying to settle for floaters in the mid range. Yeah. And I, I don't think he's the best playmaker in this class by any means but i i think he's really comfortable at moving the ball and he's an accurate passer and can make the simple read i i think it's a little more expanded than just operating a two-man game but he can make that secondary read as well and wh- when you look at his pick and roll ball handling numbers his passes to spot up shooters ranks in the 78th percentile so he he is able to kind of analyze that weak side help defender where they're at and get in the lane, draw their attention and then kick out to an open shooter. 
the the counter to that is that he's only in, his passes are only in the 15th percentile when passing to the roller. Now, Tennessee doesn't have a prolific rim runner or roller on their team. So, you know, that, be nice that, if Pons were still there, wouldn't it? Yeah. God, that would be fun. Um, so, you know, the, 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 that number skewed a little bit, but usually when he's coming off that, that screen, that big is either popping or almost just staying out of his way because of how prolific he is at finishing at the rim. Once he does come off the screen and then, you know, he, he has the awareness, he has the vision to, make the right read to that secondary level of finding the open shooter in the corner or on the wing when that at rim attempt isn't necessarily there. Yeah. You mentioned making the simple reads, making the right reads. And I think that's the thing that stands out the most with his passing. I mean, Mm -hmm. so far this year, he's at 5.3 assists to 2.2 turnovers, which, you know, especially since I was talking about JD Davison earlier, you know, that's, that's a good sign for him that, Maybe he's not making the most ambitious plays, but the flip side of that is that he's also not coughing up the ball on every other possession. Yeah, and so I, I feel like the, the the way that playmaking, I guess, kind of always, or at least in my mind, gets evaluated is there's passing and then there's playmaking, which are two very different things. And Chandler is a very good passer where he can make you know up to two reads and deliver an accurate pass and keep the ball moving. The ball doesn't really stick with him. The offense keeps flowing. When it comes to playmaking, it's passing guys open, seeing where the ball needs to be before, you know, that before it even gets to that level. And that's where his, he's still kind of a step behind where, you know, when we talk about playmaking, you know, you you look at like Taryn Armstrong, who's probably the best playmaker in this class where he's changing the angles and passing guys open. Chandler doesn't do as much of that, but if you're open, he will find you. If the offense requires an extra pass, he'll make it. So it's that just the general offensive flow is where I think Chandler really thrives where, when, if the offense is requiring him to create space for other guys and pass them open, that's where he's, he kind of falls down in terms of playmaking. That's a really good way of putting it. And I think that circles back to, I brought up Trey Young earlier, and I think that's the biggest difference at this point, you know, Trey Young was more of a ridiculous 30 foot three point shooter as well. Chandler's not exactly doing that, but he has solid passing chops. Maybe he's not throwing guys open all the time, but at least he does make the right reads most of the time and not have the ball stick in his hands. But I guess that sort of leads to the next point, which is what do you think the next big development step for him is? Because for me, I think the biggest thing for him at this point is just trying to get to the line more, especially as an undersized guard, given that he's got a pretty solid shot. But what are your thoughts on sort of what he needs to look at working on next, especially in terms of his offensive game? Yeah. And I, I think offensively, I, I would like to see a better kind of floater from him. He's only in the eighth percentile on runners, which feels weird because of how good his touch is at the rim. But some of his floaters, when you watch him, are really bad. Um, as an isolation scorer, he's also really struggled this year. And I think that's where his size really comes into play, where he can't really create space for himself um, against those more physical defenders because he is so much smaller than them. And when he's just purely in isolation, that's where, you know, we, we start to see his lack of size really start to hinder him. 
I, I don't think that's going to be a glaring issue in the long run because if all, all, all you have to give him is a screen and he's incredible and his, his shooting numbers are pretty impressive. 74th percentile off the dribble, uh, 59th percentile off the catch. But if you leave him open, he's in the 85th percentile. So if, you know, I, I would love to see him get paired with another kind of with like a, a larger initiator, whether it's a wing or a big man who is kind of the primary ball handler and then let him operate off ball. Because I, I do think that off ball movement is really good for him. The off ball shooting is really impressive, but that ability to kind of create out of isolation and then score in that intermediate area once he does get in the lane um i think will be really important to important for him because obviously the size and athleticism of nba rim protect rim protectors is still a step up from from where the competition he's seeing now so ha- having that floater having that reliable intermediary scoring package is really going to be important for his you know scoring abilities in the nba yeah, and the importance of that intermediate scoring package, I think, becomes even more important when he's not drawing a ton of free throws because he has to be able to do something other than you know three pointers and scoring at the rim. And if he has a much better floater, you know, him not getting to the line as much isn't as big of a deal. He can still reliably find his way into points when he's shut off from getting to the rim. You know, the flip side is the floater isn't as important as necessary if he gets better at drawing contact on his way to the rim. So I think he has to at least develop one of those two skills. You know, obviously it'd be nice if he was great at both, but you know, I I think he really does need one of the two of those to sort of open up the rest of his scoring game. Yeah. And, and the, 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 I think the at rim finishing craft is there. So he, he clearly understands angles and how to protect the ball and all that stuff. It's developing that, craft of drawing fouls which I, I think is really going to be important because w- w- when he gets into the chest of a college rim protector it's going to be different than getting into the chest of say rudy gobert or Embiid or you know even like a jared vanderbilt for that s- sake where they're just able to kind of swallow him up a little more easily and their ability to protect the rim without following is even more heightened so just just developing some of those tricks of you know drawing fouls and getting to the line and making sure that he gets those easy points as much as possible um i i completely agree is going to be super important for him so the other area where being an undersized point guard tends to hurt you in terms of the nba evaluation is defense and with chandler it's funny because i actually have not really been that worried about his defense just because yeah. he is so good at generating turnovers mm-hmm. and you know the thing of him not being afraid of contact on offense and you know driving to the rim his at rim finishing going through the chest of guys that also shows up on defense where he digs down and refuses to be pushed around even though he might be guarding a bigger player but i don't know it is it is interesting to me that of the two skills that are sort of traditionally looked at as this is going to be a problem for you, Mr. Undersized Point Guard, those are two areas where Chandler has shown either that he's good enough or that he's actually really well above average, especially on defense, I think. I mean, his ability to generate turnovers is among the best in this class. And 
generating turnovers and getting steals is among the easiest statistical translations from college to the NBA. So there's every reason to think he's going to be very good at generating turnovers at the NBA level too. Yeah, I I actually really like his defense. I think his on-ball defensive footwork is pretty stellar. Wait, you're talking about footwork? I know, I know. New year, same me. Um, (laughs) I, I, I can't help it. It's one of my favorite things to watch. And that's where we see his speed and quickness really come into play on the defensive end because he's really comfortable keeping guys in front of him and... I think his screen navigation is pretty solid. Um, I mean, overall 83rd percentile uh, for defense, 74th percentile and pick and roll ball handlers. So, you know, he, he's getting exposed to a lot of different things and opponents are trying to attack him, but he has the quickness and foot speed to contain them pretty well. And then on top of that, like you mentioned with forcing turnovers, he may have the quickest and best hands in the country right now when it comes to point guard defenders, I, the, the way he's able to time his reaches and really poke balls loose both on ball. And when he digs off ball at the nail, um, it's all really impressive and really impactful, which is so encouraging for his translation to the next level, because that size is going to be a huge factor in his NBA defensive effectiveness and it will limit him to being a one position defender. He's not yeah. he's not someone that can switch ever on defense. Um, I mean he obviously will have to, but his ability to move his feet and be disruptive with his hands, I think is pretty encouraging for at least being, you know, at worst an average point of attack defender at the in the NBA. Yeah, there's a difference between being a one position defender and being a one position defender who is constantly attacked. And he at least has shown the defensive chops to where I buy into him not being someone who's going to be attacked on every possession where it's like, oh, we got a screen, get Kennedy Chandler on whoever has the ball, you know, score over him. That's not really the eval. And especially given how quick his hands are and how good he is at generating turnovers, you know, if teams try that too much, they might regret it pretty quickly. So that's a huge boost for him, certainly in terms of his NBA eval. And he seems to play with a a sense of pride on that end as well, where a lot of the time with these smaller guards who are, you know, more traditionally score first guards, they kind of just, they're like, "Eh, I'm tiny. Like, I'm not not even going to bother on defense, but Chandler fights and he's competitive and really works to be in the right position. So just all of that combined with his on-ball kind of tenacity, I think projects for you know, he's not going to be an all defensive team type guy, but I, I don't think he's going to be a guy that we talk about as a defensive liability in the NBA. And it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of the lineups he's in are better defensively when he's on the on the court than when he's off. We've talked about this a lot. Certainly I've talked about this a lot, but so much of defense when you have the requisite athletic tools is just putting in the effort and yeah. Certainly both the guys that we've talked about today have incredible athletic tools and they put in the effort on the defensive end. You know, they're not just incredible athletes who are not paying attention on that end of the floor. Yeah. And, you know, the just the raw effort can cover up so many issues, whether it's sloppy footwork or delayed reactions or, you know, whatever. Having that effort really compensates for those flaws 
And then when, you know, your fundamentals and your footwork and your timing and screen navigation and all that is also above average along with your effort, then it's like, hey, we we have like a positive defender here. We have someone who can contribute and isn't going to kill us every minute they're on the floor. So having a six foot guard with that kind of offensive you know, scoring package and passing ability and pick and roll creation combined with the, the defensive tenacity and his, how how disruptive his hands are and how disruptive his footwork is, you know, that that's why he's the, the, the highest ranked point guard for me currently. Um, And cause I, I, I think given all that, he's at very worst, a really quality backup point guard. Well, we certainly can debate which of the freshman SEC point guards that we have at number one, but it is fascinating. I've definitely gotten higher on Kennedy Chandler just based on the film that I've reviewed for doing this recording with you. And I think a huge part of it is because of those areas where players of his profile traditionally struggle, he is not only much better than you'd expect, but honestly better than average. Yeah. and. or at least when I watch him, there isn't that like, oh, like that was really bad. You know, like I have bad. every game I watch Daddy Davison. Yeah. Yeah. Like it just doesn't feel like there are these glaring question marks where it's like, that's not going to translate. And, and yes, you can worry about the size. But then when you watch and think, can this guy play basketball? And it's a resounding yes, at least for me with Chandler, because the effort, the awareness, the intelligence, the skill is there for him on both ends of the court on pretty much a nightly basis. All right. Anything else you want to talk about here before we wrap things up? Go watch Johnny Davis. He is God's gift to the world right now. Oh my God. I am absolutely in love. Uh, Just everything and anything, no ceilings, go subscribe to all of it everywhere. We're doing awesome stuff. It will probably shock none of you to hear that Tyler has talked about Johnny Davis on No Ceilings. And in fact, we actually talked about the article on this year podcast. So if you want more Johnny Davis listening beyond beginning and ending praise in this podcast, then go to No Ceilings. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. That is much appreciated on our end. He is Tyler Metcalf. You can find him on Twitter at T-M-E-T-C-A-L-F-1-1. And you can find his work on No Ceilings as well as at hashtag basketball and Canis Hoopus. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And my work is also on No Ceilings as well as hashtag basketball and Nets Republic. If you have any feedback about the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.